Hello everybody, welcome to the Talking Tendons podcast. Today I'm going to um, start a little bit of a regular series talking about some new papers uh, that have come out in the tendinopathy space that are really interesting. So over the next few days um, and probably month or so, I'll probably try and do a few of these. Um, and that is leading up to a Mastering Lowell Limb Tendinopathy course that is going on in Melbourne at the end, uh, well, at the start of June. Um, so I can link the details to this podcast for that for anyone who's interested. So today I'm going to be talking about um, a systematic review that was published in the Journal of Clinical Medicine. Journal of Clinical Medicine is a what they call a high quality open access journal. So it is open access, you have to pay to be published in this journal, but it's not uh, one of the ones that you should really, really avoid uh, because they're uh, a little bit dodgy or a lot dodgy. Uh, this one is uh, peer reviewed and seems to be um, above board. Um, I haven't published in it, but from looking at the journal online, which I did when I read this paper, um, always a good place to start actually, just have a think about the journal and is it a credible journal whenever you're reading a review because there are unfortunately many journals these days that aren't. Um, so uh, the title of this systematic review is Does Additional Dietary Supplementation Improve Physiotherapeutic Treatment Outcome in Tendinopathy? A Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. So it's um, it's an interesting area because Patients will often ask, are there any supplements that I can take? Is there anything from a dietary point of view that will improve my chances of getting better or improve my outcomes? Um, so it is an important question. I think probably the biggest limitation of this review is that there isn't much evidence to answer the question available at this point. Um, so the authors uh, have, um, as you do in systematic reviews, um, uh, completed a comprehensive search. They've looked at the um, yield of that search and identified studies that answer their question. Um, and they were looking for supplements provided um, compared to some other um generally physiotherapy alone or physiotherapy and placebo treatments. Um, I think they describe their comparisons uh, in that way. Um, the interventions consisted of any kind of physiotherapeutic approaches. So it could have been exercise or shockwave, etc. cetera, uh, but it also had to include dietary supplementation. Okay, so, so that's what they were looking for. Uh, and um, the outcomes of interest were things like numerical rating scale, pain, uh, VAS, visual analog scale, um, and, and also um, reliable and valid functional outcomes like the Victorian Institute of Sport or the Shoulder Pain and Disability Index for the shoulder. Uh, so that, that sort of gives you a brief overview of some of the PICO elements and how they define those. Um, and uh, they assess quality. Uh, via the Cochrane Risk of Bias tool. Um, and um, they also then look to do some meta-analysis and that is combining the findings in a statistical model to see if there's an effect for these um, 
these uh, supplements. Okay, so onto the interesting part. What did they find? They, and I guess again, this is the limitation. There's not a lot of evidence. There was only six studies, and they were really heterogeneous. Um, so there is a really, there's a really good summary of the info that they provide in a series of tables. So I'd encourage you to have a look at it. Table one gives the authors and generally the comparisons, the population and the demographic groups, so the ages and um, uh, things like that. And there's a huge variation. So for example, some of the ages are 15, the mean of 15 must have been, I imagine, some dancing population because um, it is a flexahalysis longus issue. Um, then you've got um, the more typical tendinopathy populations of 45 to 52. You've got different tendons, Achilles, patella, um, rotator cuff mainly, but also, as I said, the flexahalysis longus in one of the studies. So this is very diverse um, uh, demographics and site of injury or site of pain or condition, I should say. Um and also, what's hugely diverse is the details of the dietary supplements. Now, they do give a very, very good summary table, as I say. Table 2, have a look at that for details of the dietary supplements. And they describe in every study the exact dietary supplements, the ingredients of the dietary supplements, and the assumed effect. Um, so there's things like, um, there is things like collagen type 1, given in quite a few. Um, hydrolyzed specific collagen peptides, um, hydrolyzed collagen type 1. So that is an obvious one, and that's really designed for um, increasing stimulating metabolism proliferation, um, uh, trying to lead to some sort of, I guess, adaptive or healing response. Uh, there's also other types of supplements. So um, there's creatine in one. Um, for more of an anti-inflammatory effect, uh, there are also um, there are also uh, other supplements. So, for example, um, let's try and get these here. The other ones that were common are uh, essential fatty acids, again for their anti potential anti-inflammatory effects. So, essential. Uh, fatty acids um, were one of the other supplements. There's polyunsaturated fatty acids, again, for an anti-inflammatory effect. So um, I guess you can um, loosely um, uh, divide the supplements and the effects uh, primarily of the supplements into two groups, one more of a proliferative um, adaptive effect, one and the other more of an anti-inflammatory effect. Um, from some of the other um, um, other types of um, uh, supplements. So have a look at table two if you're interested. Um, that, that's sort of a brief summary, probably not a complete summary of the types of things that they have looked at. Um, so in terms of what they found from these supplements, and it's really important also to note that there's really, really diverse um, comparators as well. Uh, so the types of things they were doing as a comparator was was quite diverse and that's also uh, important to bear in mind. Um, and there was also quite a lot of diversity in terms of study quality or risk of bias. Uh, but um, down to the bottom line, what they actually found was that 
there was they did find evidence in a meta-analysis that there was some um, effect of uh, favoring the experimental group the one that had the supplements versus the one that didn't so there may be some effect and remember this is some people would really frown at this meta-analysis some purists because there are so much diversity in what they've done but also in the in the groups the populations um, so from a clinical point of view you might question whether it's actually valid to combine all these different groups uh, but if you look at the individual studies there's some trends favoring probably not statistically significant for most individually um, but uh, there's some trends favoring the um, uh, their supplement groups. So that was for pain outcome. Um, so it's interesting and it's probably worthy of further investigation. And um, I guess uh, that's the phrase that everyone dreads when they're reading systematic reviews. You know, the phrase that pretty much every author ends with, which is uh, we need to do more studies. And in this case, unfortunately, it is true. Uh, there's not a lot of strong evidence, I guess, from a point of view of evidence-based medicine to recommend any of these supplements at this point. However, if your patient is asking about them, probably the thing that you could do and the thing that I do is point them towards the evidence and say, look, this is the evidence at the moment. This is um, You can find links to uh, these things. And I know from in Australia, there's um, the Prate study, P-R-A-E-T, which has Tendofort, uh, which can be bought um, online uh, and some patients will choose to take supplements even knowing that the evidence is underdeveloped and that's that's fine uh, so it's a it's a decision that they can make um, knowing uh, the evidence base that is out there so we do need more evidence uh, there may be some anti-inflammatory effects there may be some adapt adaptive um, effects and one of the interesting points the authors make is that potentially it's more beneficial than um, potentially more beneficial than classic anti-inflammatory treatments because it doesn't have the, the side effects, um, i.e. some of the gastrointestinal side effects. Um, but they do also make the important point that uh, perhaps anti-inflammatory treatments is not what we need for every tendinopathy patient anyway, which is a real debate um, at the moment. Well, ongoing, I guess, for a long time. Um, what is the place of anti-inflammatory treatments anyway? Um, so we won't go into that today. Maybe I'll do another podcast about it at some point. I think I will because I'm really interested in it. But um, hold that off for another time. Thank you very much for listening. Um, I will link the systematic review and it's a good one, as I say, to share with patients if they're interested in dietary supplements for tendinopathy. Thanks very much. See you next time.